It's time to lock in. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, exciting, thrilling finish. Live from Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive. Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it! Welcome to a Thursday edition of the Final Drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey Labounty, along with my producer Michael Brauner, joining you this afternoon. Want to thank everyone for tuning in and hope everyone has had a wonderful day so far as we get toward the end of the week and of course we always love to hear from you on the final drive 251-694-1055 is how you can get in touch with us and of course you can always get in touch with us on the app and with it being a Thursday edition of the final drive of course we have the Tide and Tiger report coming up at five o'clock Stephen M. Smith will be joining us along with Jake Crane to talk Alabama and Auburn, and we'll talk to Ryan Ballingee, continuing to fill in those gaps with us and give us more knowledge on the PGA Live and European Tour merger. And we'll catch up with our baseball buddy, Lindsey Crosby, right around 4 o'clock. And, of course, Michael Brauner last night, game number three of the NBA Finals, and yesterday you wanted to to put me on the spot <laughs> and and wanted me to pick a winner. Well, you would have picked the Nuggets too if I had gotten it out of you. I think what 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 I did tell you is that if a team got a double digit lead, that they were not going to relinquish it, especially that being the Denver Nuggets. And of course, the Denver Nuggets in Game Two blowing a fifteen point lead in the NBA Finals and allowing the Heat to draw even. But last night, a historic triple-double, not by one, but by two Denver Nuggets. First time ever in NBA history where you had a 30-point, 30-point triple-doubles in the same game, whether it's regular season, postseason, NBA Finals. Again, the first time ever 30-point triple-doubles, two by teammates Murray and Joker. What what a performance when you look at what they were able to do. Murray, I talked about it yesterday. You have to have Murray arriving, and he didn't arrive in game number two, but he was back to himself in game number three. 34 points, 10 rebounds, and 10 assists, and the Joker was doing Joker things. 32 points, 21 rebounds, and 10 assists. Now, Michael Bronner, here's what's remarkable to me. The Joker is leading the NBA from a postseason standpoint in points, rebounds, and assists. And if he's able to finish this postseason doing that, leading in all three categories, that would be a first. Yeah, I might be back to Denver in five. Uh, obviously, I've waffled on that one a little bit. He kind of he kind of bamboozled me a little bit in game two, but uh, I don't know how big of a prediction it was for you to say if a team goes up double digits, they won't give up the lead. Although you did say 
whoever wins game three is going to lose game four. So I guess that means you're riding with Miami in game Miami. four. I don't know if I can pick against the Nuggets after that. Yeah, Murray had more points like midway through the second quarter uh, last night than he did all of game two. So, yeah, I w it was it was remarkable stuff. Two 30-point triple-doubles. First pair of triple-doubles by a teammate all, at all in finals history. First 30-point triple-doubles by teammates in NBA history. It, it was it, it was spectacular. I, it was it was a blowout. It was a beatdown. Miami couldn't keep up. I think it was like what was it a five six point game at halftime, yeah. and then they the Denver came out and they they were not losing last night. Well, what what was interesting too, Bronner, is the fact that Pat Riley. Of course, everyone knows Pat Riley from his Lakers run and his New York Knicks run and his Heat run, but. Pat Riley was adamant as a coach about no rebound equals no ring. And you're out rebounded 58 to 33. That cannot happen if you want to win in the NBA Finals. Now, Butler and Bam, Butler goes for 28. Bam has 22 and 17. And those are great numbers yeah. for the Miami Heat. And with those type of numbers, you would think that they would be in a position to, to possibly win this basketball game because it, it's got to be a situation for the Miami Heat to where you have to have Butler and Bam scoring. But let me ask you this. Is something wrong with Jimmy Butler? We know he tweaked his ankle in the second round of the playoffs early set out against the Knicks and, and kind of rested it, still has put on great performances. But Jimmy Butler, even though he scored 28 points, do you think at this point in time he's as explosive as he was earlier in the playoffs? I mean, it's funny you even ask me that. kind of just speaks to how great he's been after a 28-point performance. We talk about is something wrong with Jimmy Butler because he's only putting up 28. Uh, but, I mean, what did we say before the series? It's like, yeah, obviously – Miami is outmatched, and they're going to need pretty much Butler to do, like, playoff Jimmy. Th and 28 points is 28 points. It's nothing to scoff at, but, like, we're, we're talking we need, like, 45 points out of Jimmy to, uh, yeah, I mean, last night they weren't going to win, but barring, like, a 45-point game from Jimmy Butler. But, yeah, I, I, I don't know if something's bothering him. I guess it's possible. It's not like he's playing bad or anything like that. Maybe he's missing a little bit of a, of a gear, but, heck, he'll never tell you that. Uh, as he shouldn't, but yeah, I I don't know. I it, it is I find it funny you even you even ask that. It's like oh, 28 points, Jimmy Butler. What's what's going on? Big problem. He only had 28 points, but yeah, it just speaks to how great he's been. And uh, but yeah, we said it. Like 28 points, it's just not gonna be enough to take down this machine that is Denver right now. Well, here's the thing as well, and it's been known that if Miami shoots the three ball well. What did I say, man? Look at Gabe Vincent and Max Struess. Seven points, three points. Not, not enough. Not going to get it done. One you for six and one for four. Have to show up. And the Miami Heat, 11 out of 35 from the three-point line. Now, again, granted, in game one, only two free throws attempted by the Miami Heat. They seem to have fixed that as they went to the foul line 19 times. But what what is it going to take for the Miami Heat to win game four what what is it going to take is it going to take the bench production is it going to take them getting off to a better start because we're mentioning five or six point lead at halftime so it wasn't like it was a blowout yeah i mean i what's it going to take 
make more shots, limit limit Jamal Murray. I mean, it's going to take an off performance from Jamal Murray. That's how they won game two, and they made some shots. Again, it's like uh, I say every game. It's it's a gross over oversimplification, and I'm sure Eric Spolstra would get mad at me for saying it, but that's really what it boils down to. You need Murray to be off. You need to limit Murray. Jokic is going to get his. There's nothing you can do about that. He's the best player in the world He's right now. He's definitely going to get his. And so there's not, there, you know, there's just nothing you can do about that. But, uh, but what yeah. you witnessed last night uh, with two players, it, it's okay if, if Murray goes for 30. But to to get two triple doubles, that means that, that your team is knocking down shots because you're getting the assist. When you start looking at the total assist by both Murray and, as well as the Joker, that's 20 assists, 20 made baskets automatically by those two. And you do the math on that, 66 total points out of the Denver Nuggets, 109, a historical performance. Coach Malone chimed in about the history that everyone was able to witness last night. You know, I've been with Nicola for eight and uh, Jamal with, uh, for seven years now. And we've been, you know, we've had some pretty good moments but not in the NBA Finals. And for those guys to make history the way they did tonight, uh, no one's ever done that. I mean, that's what's really neat about it. You get the win. I thought our defense was fantastic tonight. You hold that team to 94 points, 37 from the field, only 11 threes. Um, you know, that, that, that really helped us out tonight, the defending and rebounding at a high level, but um, by far their greatest performance as a duo in their seven years together. As a duo, and, and we knew going into the bubble a couple of years ago, Murray kind of showed flashes of greatness. And then, of course, he blows out his knee, and, and the Joker doesn't have that Batman and Robin mentality. But when you watch the Joker play, again, it, it's so smooth and it's so easy, and he just is so skilled to be such a big man. And I know his own teammate, Murray, he chimed in about what he thought about the Joker's performance. That speaks for itself, bro. Um, how many, like I said, how many times does he have to do that for, you know, you guys to believe in his game or our game or whatever? Like he's he's doing it so, making it look so easy, you know, on good shooting, you know, low turnovers, um, two block shots. Um, you got great hands, great communication in the pick and rolls, and 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 IQ and all that. So, like I said, he, he uh, we're running out of things to say. You know, he, he makes the game look easy, and um, like I said, the consistency that he's doing that with, not just the first time in finals that he's put up, he's done that before, and uh, it's fun to play with, fun to watch, and um, be a part of. It's definitely fun to watch. Jamal Murray. Sure. Jamal Murray is kind of annoying, man. Well, <laughs> tell me what you. What's your problem? What's your uh, issue? With I, I don't know. Like, what else does he have to do to to get you to believe in him and in, in, in his game and our game? No one does it. Like, he's pretty widely recognized as the best player. I mean, we've had this discussion, and I understand the like, get any edge you can. I I get it, all that, but no. I mean, the Nuggets were like. A very, very, very heavy favorite going into this series precisely because of how good Jokic is. So, like, 
I don't need to hear Jamal Murray after a phenomenal Jokic performance talk about what else does he have to do to prove it to you. He's proven it. Well, well, it's like we all know. Uh, uh, apparently he hasn't proven it enough because he was not the league's most valuable player. Yeah. That went to Joel Embiid. So Murray getting on that podium and saying that, Apparently, he's not getting the respect that he deserves. But Joker's not getting the respect. It's a pretty widely held opinion, I think, at this point, that most people think he probably should have been. So, yeah, I mean, I think the NBA has a tendency to have player fatigue, and you don't want to give the same guy the MVP three times, which is dumb, but it just is the reality of how the MVP award is doled out. I don't know. I, I, I've he Murray is not the first person to do this. Like, you heard Georgia after the national championship talking about how, oh, people thought we were going 7-5. <laughs> and five. Yeah, find me the person who told you Georgia was going seven and five this year i'll find uh, you know i'll point you to la la land but uh yeah it, it's it's whatever it, it, i understand get an edge any way you can whatever i don't even think it's about getting an edge for murray i think he's speaking his truth uh, it's not but it's truth. not it's not the truth no one ever no one it thinks is the that truth. He, he's not the league's most valuable player no one thinks that Jokic. like what else does he have to do to prove our game and his game like come on man what are, what are we talking about he's the we're, best we're player in the world we know he's no, the best player in the world obviously obviously the voters the nuggets Those were the heavy in favorites the in this finals it was like being michael a favorite has nothing was, to do with being the best player it's like michael malone after going up 2-0 against the lakers oh everything's about the, like who cares man but, just but win two more games and shut up the best player just go win more two more games and shut up no, and then i don't want to hear from you about being the best player again i think most people probably agree at this point that Jokic is the best player in the league not it, it, it doesn't matter about most because Embiid is at home on vacation he's been gone fishing so he's not even in the conversation that's why you have to wait until the postseason to me is over before you say this is the league's most valuable player because there's no way you can sit there and said Embiid is better than the Joker and and regardless of how many years in a row the Joker has won it. If somebody's better than the Joker, stand up and prove it. Again, you're, Put up the numbers. You're that preaching you need to the to. choir to me, and I think most people agree. I, as for the voters, I don't know what they were doing. You know who doesn't annoy me? Let's let's hear from Jokic. Let's okay. hear what he had to say. Tim McMahon, ESPN. I know you're uh, not a guy who cares a lot about your stats, but when you have a line that's never been accomplished before in, in finals history, what do you think of that? Um, to be honest, I just think uh, it's a win, you know, because if we lose, nobody's going to even mention even, I mean, to be honest, I, I don't care. Uh, it's just uh, it's just a stat. He doesn't care if he's a walking triple-double. That's the thing. That, he doesn't that's how care. it should be. And I believe, I never, believe Joker in that You're situation. never going to hear Jokic say, like, yeah, like, they believe in me now. Like, they doubted me because he, know, well, he knows. I, I will say this. He knows once, how great he is. Once he pops that champagne, regardless of whether it's in game five, six, or seven, and, I, again, I picked the Nuggets in seven, mm. you, you'll, I, he'll have an opportunity. He, he Then you don't have to be as humble because I'll, now you let you, the bling blings and the ring speak for you. I'll tell you right now, I'll make a definitive statement. This series is not going seven games. <laughs> it is not going seven games, man. No shot. You still think that? Even after, after last seven night? Seven game uh -uh. series. No way. Well, after game one, you said there's no way yeah. that it's going to go 
Beyond that, and then what did Miami do? They won game two. Okay, and all right. I, and I, but but I after game one, you said there's six. no way it's going to be a sweep. That's yeah. what you said after game one. I it's think, gonna be a sweep. I, I think it was, you know, I, I mean, because I had them in five at the start, and then after game one, is like, wow, like, it could be a sweep, and then Miami does what they did in game two, credit to them. I said, like, all right, maybe it goes six. So I, I don't think it goes Michael, six. four to one right now. You're I, saying it's, it's still, it's still going to be five. I think I'm going back to original five games. I think Miami's done. Miami is is toast. Toast. It, well, I, I'll tell you what. It's not going seven games. I, I, I'm I'm going out on on that far of a limb at least. It is not going to take seven games for Denver to beat. They're just so much better. They're just so much better. It, it, it's not even. I mean, it's just not even close. I I don't know if Boston would have given them a better matchup. Like probably not. Honestly. But they are just so much better, and it is not going to take seven games for them to eliminate this Heat team. So if they're that much better, was it just one bad game In that game was two? played by the Nuggets? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I guess you can chalk it up to that. I mean, Murray didn't show up. Again, if Murray shows up, I I just there's not a path for the Heat to, to beat this team. I just don't see it like... Because you know Jokic is going to show up. I, I tell you, it's going to be fun to continue to watch... The next game here, game four in Miami on tomorrow evening. And again, I, I just, there's no question that what we witnessed last night, everyone witnessing history with two players, two players, the first time ever having 30 point triple doubles in the same game. And that was fun to watch. Will Tyler Hero return and make a difference? Well, he didn't play in game three. Probably I honestly play forgot game about four. Tyler Hero. See, he ain't he ain't, sa he ain't saving. I, I I don't think he'll suit up for game four either. And even if he does, he's not going to be that big of a difference maker. Miami's bench has to show up and play for sure. Thanks for tuning in to the final drive. Of course, you can reach us in the app or give us a call two five one six nine four one zero five five. Are the Heat done, or will the Denver Nuggets go ahead and find a way to continue? to dominate the way they did last night. The final drive will be right back. This is Brad Nessler, and you're listening to WNSP 105.5 in Mobile. Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty, along with my producer, Michael Brauner, joining you this Thursday afternoon thank everyone for tuning in and michael yesterday we were looking at pictures of the eerie clouds and smoke that have been going on in new york and it's caused cancellations of several sporting events in the new york area i know you've had baseball games canceled you've had belmont park racing put at a standstill and and possibly could affect the third situation for horse racing this weekend of the Triple Crown. And I, I'm hoping that the, the wind will blow it on by. But air quality concerns from the Canadian wildfires, of course, it affected the Giants OTAs. There's been WNBA games canceled. It's just kind of a eerie feeling going over New York right now. Yeah, if you've seen the... Uh photos and videos it's something it's it's uh it looks like it's out of a movie man it's it's pretty wild stuff it's very very close to where i'm from as well it hits close to home you know hope everyone's okay but poor air quality i i don't know stay inside i guess it's uh 
it's it's eerie, man. It's, the, the, it's crazy the, to look at. The only quality of air we have here in the summertime really is the humidity yeah. that, that you, you have know, to work I, out. And sometimes I like it better outside. here, man. <laughs> you can walk outside here sometimes, and it'll it'll suffocate. For sure, it'll suffocate you as far as how hot it is. But something <laughs> to definitely keep an eye on. They're just rescheduling a lot of events, you know, a lot of double headers being happen to be played. And if you're only getting ten OTAs, it kind of stretches yeah. that out as well for the Giants. I was uh, I was texting my dad about this because, like I said, I'm I'm from pretty close to to where this is going on. And and I said, uh, man, like. You know, we don't we don't deal with this in the South. And he goes, well, that's because it rains every day in Alabama. And I said, well, I'm also not walking through orange smog right now. So uh, <laughs> so I'm going to I'm going to take the humidity and the rain over over what's going on up there. So but yeah, crazy situation in all seriousness. Hope uh, hope everyone's staying safe. Now, now, who's going to bring the smoke in the NFL is QB one now for sure for the Carolina Panthers. Mm, and saw that today. Didn't take long for for Bryce Young. Yeah. To, to get more reps than the other quarterbacks on the roster and that veteran for the Carolina Panthers being Andy Dalton, the big redhead. But <laughs> I, I will say... The big redhead. That's right. I, I will say that there was no question when Carolina took Bryce Young overall number one how long it would take for him to get QB1 reps. Yeah, it's been a long time since uh, the number one pick didn't start week one. And so, you know, as it should be, you, you would hope that the number one pick is going to start week one if you're taking a guy number one. Uh, obviously, if someone needs to develop, you know, what, whatever. But, uh, you know, Bryce Young certainly all there. Mentally, that was kind of the best part of his game is, is uh, how advanced he is with processing and how and uh, how quickly he picks things up. So uh, we'll see, man. I'm excited. To, I'm excited to see it. Well, not only that, I mean, Dalvin Smoke, Oh, excuse me, not smoke. Dalvin Cook <laughs> gets smoked uh, uh, by the Minnesota Vikings. He yeah, gets cooked. This and one. <laughs> where, where, where this do you one's think, been coming. Where do you, yeah, absolutely. Everyone had known that it was coming. Where do you think is a good fit for Dalvin Cook? Uh, somewhere that doesn't pay him a lot of money because he's not that good anymore. Uh, you know. Is he, is he just a three-down back? Is that all? He's worth right now. Well, he's a running back, so you know, barring like two or three guys across the entire league, you know how I feel about this one. Uh, not, you know, it, it's an unfortunate reality because running back is the most punishing position in the NFL, and you know, I, I I wish there was a way for these guys to be worth more than they are, but the reality of the NFL in 2023 is that it's the easiest position by far to get cheap production from. I think that paying a veteran running back is probably pretty clearly over the hill uh, any more than, you know, a, a, a small amount of money is foolish. So uh, we'll see who ends up overpaying Dalvin Cook. I can pretty much guarantee you someone will overpay him, but uh, who that team is, I, I had seen that the Broncos, the Jets are interested. Uh, we'll see if either of those teams come to fruition. Well, I, I just know that I think he still has a little bit left in the tank to give. Now, is that every day? down back sure I, i'm not saying you know retire I, i'm just saying like you know a team's gonna probably offer him eight nine ten million dollar contract and you know I, I i just find that to be foolish it almost always is but we'll see what team does it because some team will do it oh absolutely there's someone's gonna take that chance and you know today at the state amateur golf tournament a 15 year old shot 60 
62 <laughs> at Mobile Country Club. Shooting 62 at 15 years old. Silly. That that is crazy. And and that 15 or excuse me, 15 year old is has a name by the name of Tyler Watts. Yep. Tyler Watts shoots a 62. And does that name sound familiar to our listening area? I, I think it really does. Yeah, uh, son of a uh, former Alabama quarterback, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, y- you would have a lot of success shooting probably an 80. But to shoot if a If I 62, shot an 80, it'd be, my, it'd be the best day of my life. Well, but, well, uh, well Bronner, yeah. a, a 15-year-old says, look, you, you let me shoot a 62 at the Mobile Country Club, and I'll show you an opportunity for me to keep swinging the clubs in. And Tyler Watts taking shots – in football, broke up, having an opportunity to, to have those war wounds. What kind of wounds do you have swinging the golf clubs besides back injuries? Uh, Yeah, back injuries are about the most common thing if you can avoid getting hit by a ball. Big shout-out also to uh, UMS Wright state champion Thomas Crane. He's sitting there in fourth right now. He shot a 66 yesterday. I believe he's playing right now, so we'll certainly follow along for what Thomas Crane is going to be doing. So, uh you know, big again, big shout out to him. He's one of the best players in the area. Hope, would love to see a, a local guy throw his hat in the ring to win this thing. Uh, and we'll see what Thomas is able to do today. Well, coming up next, we'll have Ryan Ballingy to break down what's been going on and the tremendous breaking news over the last couple of days with golf. And he'll kind of put me in the loop and, and kind of fill me in exactly what all this merger is going to mean and the chaos in the clubhouse from some of the world's best golfers is it going to be the case and will you have folks cussing each other out in the clubhouse or coming to blows i don't know uh if that will be the case but ryan ballingy can kind of fill us in next and that's who's going to be our next guest here on the final drive on wnsp 105.5 Final drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty, along with my producer, Michael Brauner, joining you this Thursday afternoon. And with the news breaking on Tuesday morning about the merger under one umbrella of PGA Tour, Live, and World Tour, I wanted to get in touch with Ryan Ballingy, owner of Golf News Net, does a phenomenal job keeping us updated on everything that's going on on the courses. Ryan, good afternoon. Thanks for joining us here on The Final Drive. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. All right. There there we are. I got you now, Ryan. Yes, sir. Thank you for coming on with this. And, you know, I've said this the last couple of days. A wonderful job by the commissioner of the PGA, Monaghan, in keeping this silent. Caught everyone off guard. And it literally took a lot of people back to where they were really frustrated and and didn't know how to react and were you one of them in regards to once you read that email or heard about it to where you're like this just cannot this has to be an april fool's joke yeah i mean i I thought it was 
truly fake. I mean, I, I thought someone was playing a joke on me uh, when I got the first text message I saw about it. And then obviously realized it, it wasn't. And this is truly the, probably the biggest kept secret in golf history. And there were probably less than, I'll say 10, but maybe 15 being charitable, people who knew this was happening before it was announced. Uh, and Rory McIlroy wasn't one of them, really. Tiger Woods wasn't one of them. A lot of the people in the PGA Tour weren't one of them. Um, so, yeah, a lot of people were kept in the dark on this, and that's going to have some ramifications for how this all works out moving forward and how Jay Monahan may or may not survive whatever becomes of us. Yeah, it always starts with the commissioner or at the top, and he is at the top, and with this being said and how many toes he stepped on with his current PGA members, I personally don't think he will be able to survive. But when you do merge under a new umbrella, and it's a monetary umbrella for sure, what, what kind of name will they think to come up with? Or if you were having an opportunity to submit a ballot for naming this merging of golf, what would it be? I assume that the PGA Tour will pound the table to keep the PGA Tour name. I mean, it's a brand name that has been built over 60 years. Um, I assume that that's not going anywhere anytime soon, but I could be wrong. I could be surprised. Uh, it, it seems like, to me, the Saudis really wanted to be at the forefront of men's professional golf. They wanted to have a vested interest and a vested say for, for whatever their motivations are, however complicated or simple they might be. So what they probably wanted in the end was not to have something called Live Golf. They wanted to have something called the PGA Tour. My guess is that name sticks around, that legacy sticks around moving forward. Talking to Ryan Ballinger, owner at Golf News Net. Ryan, let's talk about Rory McIlroy for a second. Obviously has been at the center of this entire thing. Uh, I, I don't know where to where to place myself with Rory here because it seems like I, I, it'd be fair to say he got kind of screwed over here. He got he took the brunt of the heat for all of this, really for Jay Monahan. Yet he still kind of stands behind Jay Monahan. I I just I don't get it. Yeah, I think you're not the only one. I, I get the sense from McElroy that he's probably holding back what he really feels. And he's probably held back some of what he really feels this entire time, but especially in this situation. And I think there are a couple of reasons for that. One, he, for better or for worse, and seemingly financially for the worse, is a company man and has planted his flag in the ground and is not going to remove it. But also, he doesn't, and frankly, no one really knows what exactly this is all going to look like. We don't know exactly how much the Saudis are putting in, what kind of position that buys them, what their long-term goals are. Will there be a separate tour? Will all of these tours kind of come together? Will they operate separately? Will live go away? We don't know anything beyond that they've shaken hands and they've agreed to something on paper in concept. Beyond that, I think there's still a lot of jockeying to be done. I still think there's a lot of discussion to be had. And I don't think McElroy wants to position himself 
out of an influence in that situation. So I think he has probably remained somewhat neutral, at least publicly, with the hopes that maybe he can still have a, a pretty strong influence in the outcome of this. I think most people would agree the strangest part of this entire thing was the timing on it. Obviously, no one knew anything, and then all of a sudden we wake up, and it's the biggest story on Twitter. The entire PJ Colin Morikawa says, love finding out this news on Twitter like the rest of us. I've, I've seen some, and again, this is like live golf fan account, so take it with a giant, giant, giant grain of salt. Is there any truth to the... John Rahm was negotiating with Liv stuff, or or Liv was about to win the legal battle. Like, the just the timing of, if not for something huge like that, the the timing of it, like what other explanation could there be? Well, I, I think there are a couple of explanations, and they all kind of come back to money in the end. But the the big primary thing here is we had a lawsuit going between the PGA Tour and Liv and a countersuit going on at the same time. They had gotten to a point in the due process of all of this that they were about to, and were actually in the midst of the depositions and discovery and document revelation, and eventually, whenever it did, a lot of stuff was going to come out about the PGA Tour and, frankly, the Saudi Public Investment Fund that neither side wanted to be public. And so long as they were working against each other, it eventually would and would make the Saudis look bad because you would know a whole lot about their finances and what they're invested in, for better or for worse. The PGA Tour would look bad because, frankly, they've probably been operating as a monopoly for 50 years, and no one's ever kicked the tires on that until recently. That would probably look pretty bad, as well as their complicated structure of being a membership organization that runs a whole ton of nonprofit charitable tournaments, which may or may not be subject to a whole heck of a lot of scrutiny. The legal bills were piling up for both sides, but obviously money means less to the Saudis and less the PGA Tour. PGA Tour's had a hard time going to sponsors and saying, hey, we want $10, $12 million more per year from you so you can be a designated event. And not really being able to explain in very good terms what these sponsors would get back for that investment. And meanwhile, all these legacy sponsors who didn't want to be uh, burdened with a bigger bill are finding out that their money isn't getting them the same kind of caliber field or investments as it did even a year ago. So their business model wasn't sustainable. Their business model was frankly a joke and worthless. And so everyone, I think, just kind of decided the best course of action is to frankly give the Saudis what they originally wanted, which was an, a way to invest in the PGA Tour. We're speaking with Ryan Ballinger, owner of the Golf News Net and of course, has there been a bigger spotlight on the sport of golf since Tiger really runs the needle in golf? I, I can't recall golf being breaking news besides Tiger having his accident and, and being taken away from golf, but is this the biggest spotlight, and will it continue to remain that way once everything is sorted out and there is a name officially given in 2024? Oh, I wouldn't be so sure that this actually happens in 2024. I think there are a lot of things that can happen in the next weeks, months, that could preclude this from ever actually happening, ever actually getting done. And there are probably a handful of reasons for that. But one of the big ones is the Department of Justice, Justice and the Federal Trade Commission. They 
they're going to look at this very heavily. I think that people in golf have very much underestimated the antitrust interests of the Biden administration and, frankly, anybody on the Hill right now. Uh, they're going to look into this pretty deeply because the language that has been used, especially at the outset, from Monaghan, from the press release, from everybody involved, suggests that this is a merger to monopoly in legal terms, which that doesn't sound particularly great and could be subject to a lot of scrutiny or just disapproval. And, oh, by the way, that doesn't only matter in the United States. That's going to matter in the EU, too, because the DP World Tour is involved with all of this, and the DP World Tour is a European-based company. So that means they get to scrutinize the deal as well. And so that's part of it. Then you've got the players. They could have a, a revolt about all of this. You could have the policy board of the PGA Tour, which is nine members, four players, and all you need is one other non-player to vote against it. And it torpedoes the entire thing. Uh, and then there's just the realities of trying to put this complicated arrangement together. I, if it does come together, I don't think it comes together before basically a year from now. And there's very good reason to believe that there's at least some percentage chance that it never comes together. So um, I, I don't I don't know where we go from here other than the kind of the status quo until everything gets worked out in terms of what they think it's going to look like on paper. Then they have to approve it internally. And then they've got to get approval from the players. And then they've got to get approval from all of the different governmental bodies that are going to want to have a say at this. Well, well, Ryan, that's one of the reasons I definitely want to have have you on today to kind of bridge that gap because you're the first person that I've heard to say that this deal possibly won't get done in 2024 and possibly may not happen at all. And I think that that's interesting in and of itself. And the clubhouse, you mentioned the players. I just think that if it does go through, there's still going to be chaos in the clubhouse and you're going to have guys that aren't going to speak to each other or cuss one another out. And there's going to be a lot of animosity amongst one another. I think you're right. I actually think it was better relationship-wise when these guys knew they would be on separate tours because whatever they had against each other, they kind of left that to its own business. You know, PJ Tour and Live, and they got together with the majors, generally was pretty friendly for most players. I mean, a lot of the guys on Live are generally disliked, so maybe they were kind of cast aside. But the guys that were liked, you know, were kind of welcomed back into the fraternity for a week or two. Now, if you're going to try to put them back in the same body and the same competitive organization, again, whatever that looks like, we don't know. But if you're trying to put them together, what are the players who stuck out their necks and chests and spoke out publicly in favor of the PGA Tour and against Greg Norman, against Liv, against the Saudis, how are they going to feel for the rest of their career that they didn't get their slice of the billions that were on offer in this one, one and a half year, however long it is, experiment that's called Live Golf? They're, they're going to carry that with them for an awfully long time. And they're going to direct that at Norman, the players, Monaghan. It's, I don't think that has been properly understood yet, and I don't know if even compensation, if they came up with it, and I'm not saying they're going to, but if they came up with it, would necessarily smooth it all over in the end. Well, Ryan, we ran out of time to uh, actually talk about the U.S. Open. Maybe we can get you on next week if you're available. Obviously, this is the more pressing story here. But uh, I, I, last thing I want to ask you, do you believe Jay Monahan survives this? Maybe in the short term, and maybe he sees this to completion 
But after that, I got a feeling he's walking out that door. Will he walk out the door a richer man because of it, or or will there be some backlash behind that as well? I'd be purely speculating, but it sure seems like there's going to be a compensatory component to all this for Jay Monahan, whether that's explicit or implicit, whether we ever know about it or not. But things like this don't happen for free. Absolutely. Ryan, how can everyone follow all your terrific coverage of this breaking story that continues to evolve and, like you said, yet more to come here in the world of golf? You can find us at our website, golfnewsnet.com. Golf News Net, all of our uh, social channels. The handle is on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. If you want to listen to 24-7 Golf Talk, you can find us on GNN Radio. That's on the iHeart app or on the TuneIn app or on our website. And uh, we'll keep talking about this until we figure out what the new world of professional golf looks like. Thank you so much, Ryan. Look forward to talking to you again very soon. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. The final drive on WNSP 105.5 with Corey LeBounty and my producer, Michael Brauner. We'll be right back after the break. Hi, this is Luis Gonzalez, former South Alabama Jaguar and Major League player. You're listening to WNSP Mobile. The final drive on WNSP 105.5. Thanks for tuning in. Of course, you can give us a call, 251-694-1055, where you can get in touch with us in the app. And, of course, it's always great to have a national champion in the Port City, and that's a NCAA national champion. That's going to be South Alabama's junior, Kyle Rademeyer wins the NCAA pole vaulting championship, brings the third ever national championship in any sport to South Alabama. And of course, the other two national championships were in track and field as well. Michael, how high do you think Kyle (laughs) pole vaulted? I don't know. I don't have a point of reference here. I, I don't want to give a stupid answer. All right. Well, we'll know that. What's like the world seven record? Four, uh, you, you, you know, you look at, let's say, Manute Bowl was 7'6 seven, or 7'7. Seven, seven. Yeah. All right. So stack two or three Manute Bowls, um, Yao Ming, pick, pick a basketball player that you want, Shaq. Stack a couple of Shaqs or three Shaqs on top of one another, and you tell me what you think. Height-wise, he won the NCAA championship at twenty-two feet. That's that's pretty tall. Eighteen feet, <laughs> eight and two five inches. I, I just you know I knew I knew I was gonna be off. I didn't have a point of reference. No, but, I mean uh, that's the only way I can give you a point of reference yeah. is is to tell you stack some seven footers on top of one another. Eighteen yeah, feet. Yeah, eighteen feet. One Kyle Rademeyer, a NCAA national championship. Coming back to South Alabama. And Joe Erdman, the athletic director of South Alabama, you know, South won the Boobis Cup, and meaning they have the best overall athletic program. And he told us last week that it wasn't over with yet. There were still a couple of athletes that need to participate out in Dallas. So that's that's very interesting in the fact that South Alabama does have a national champion. Alabama State for the first time in school history has a four by 100 relay team that's going to be competing for 
a national championship. They set a new school record, 38.56. So congratulations to the Alabama State Hornets. But I'm, I'm still fascinated with the fact that South Alabama does have three national champions, and, and all of them are in the sport of track and field. And I, I think that that just goes to show that that's one of the strongest sports when you look at it individually, team sport-wise. South Alabama, again, getting it done at the national championships for the NCAA. Congratulations to junior Kyle Rademeyer jumping 18 feet, 8 and 2.5 inches. The final drive will be right back here at 4 o'clock, and we'll talk to our buddy Lindsey Crosby coming up here at the 4 o'clock hour. From Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive, live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it. Welcome to hour number two of the final drive. Corey Labounty, along with my producer, Michael Brauner, joining you this afternoon. And want to welcome in our next guest, Lindsey Crosby, host of Locked On Form and senior baseball writer for the Auburn Daily. And Lindsey, good afternoon. Hope all is well, my friend. You know, it's uh, I'm not doing as good as El- as. Alabama baseball is doing, but it's, it's not bad this week. I had a nice chance to visit with my family. <laughs> well, I, I tell you, I know you're you're one of those guys that really were hoping that the Auburn Tigers w- would still be playing at the Super Regionals, but I, I will say this. They did lose to an outstanding and, to me, well, well-ranked and well-deserved Southern Miss team that has found a way to the Super Regionals, and I think is one of those teams that's going to make some noise. Southern Miss just impressed me in all four days of the regional, and it's not just like we knew that Tanner Hall was good, right? Their Friday night guy goes nine innings against uh, Sanford that first day, uh, nine nine strikeouts, gets a no decision because they lose it in extras. But like we knew he was good, but all the way through the rotation, the bullpen, all of the guys they brought – like the the stuff doesn't feel like it's overwhelming until you get in the box and they just keep striking dudes out and just not letting balls get squared up. And the offense continues to to get really good swings on really good pitches. And they're hosting a super in Hattiesburg. Uh, it is well deserved. They were probably the best two seed in the whole field. Penn was one of the best four seeds in the whole field. And Southern Miss battled out of the losers bracket to host a super regional. It's a great story and. And really, just a credit to kind of what they've been able to do there in Hattiesburg. Great program. Well, I will say this. Credit to 
the University of Alabama baseball team for finding a way to, after their coach is fired for betting against them to win, you have Alabama at Wake Forest Saturday. And if you would have told me that Alabama would be playing in the Super Regionals probably a little over a month ago, I would say, hmm, that's, that's hard to imagine. But the Crimson Tide are going to have an opportunity to win some games against a very good Wake Forest team. Yeah, everybody nationally is just picking Wake Forest to win this because Wake Forest is the number one team in the country, and it's a good rotation and it's a good offense. But this Alabama team, like I've been really impressed with what Jason Jackson's been able to do. The personality has been the right fit for this team, and like the pitching matchups this weekend are gonna be really good. I mean, it's something. Uh, Garrett McMillan is going to be a guy. I think he'll probably be on Saturday. Alton Davis on Sunday. The Rhett Louder versus Luke Holman matchup is going to be really exciting because Rhett Louder is a guy, we talk about him on tomorrow's show as far as a first-round pick, great changeup and all of that. But, like, Luke Holman's going to be, I mean, he's been an ace this year. He's really had some good stuff. Great strikeout number. He struck out just under 80 guys. And the pitching matchups in all three games are going to be really, really good. And I think it's all going to come down to that third matchup and how does Wake's third guy do against the young lefty for Alabama? Uh, that's probably going to decide the super. It's not going to be a two and done. It's going to go, go the distance. And it's probably going to be decided late in game three. Lindsay, uh, I don't have the scores right in front of me immediately, but when you look at what Wake did in their regional matchup, it's something like 12 nothing, 21 to 6, like 15 to nothing. I mean, was that more so Wake just playing inferior opponents or, or Wake just being that much of a buzzsaw? So Wake has two really good corner infielders, and these two guys together have hit a ton of home runs. They're incredibly dangerous and you have to watch out for them uh what's it uh I think tommy hawk and wilkin wilkin should be the third baseman should be a first round pick this upcoming year but outside of those guys the lineup is sometimes missing a little bit of power and i feel like the park plays kind of small and so that's in their advantage as well they hosted the regional it's like when you play a professional ball game in cincinnati right that's a smaller ballpark a lot of home run numbers so I think that Alabama's power is going to play up and the offense can hang with Wake Forest. It's all going to come down to when you get to the back of the rotation, who is going to be better at keeping runs off the board? Because Wake has really thrived against uh, the back end of a rotation, the back end of a bullpen, putting up extra runs late in the game to make these margins of victory so big. Can, you, can Alabama keep them at bay and score some runs late? Lindsay, I, I know that in the Super Regionals, one of the stories that I found intriguing was the fact that Indiana State is traveling to TCU, even though Indiana State was supposed to be the home team due to lack of hotels. And because of it, they're going to give some and donate money to the Special Olympics because the Special Olympics is in town causing that hotel shortage. Have you really heard of anything like that, or is that kind of unprecedented moving a Super Regional? We've seen things that have made it difficult to host a Super Regional. Auburn, last year, when they went to Corvallis against Oregon State, they had to stay almost an hour away because of some events in town and things like that. But moving the Super Regional is wild to me. And from what I understand, 
Indiana State didn't even have a complete bid because they just could not locate hotel rooms. It wasn't like a they didn't want to pull a Kentucky and put them in the dorm. And from what I understand, TCU fans have been very good about this. TCU fans have donated to the Special Olympics as well, you know, trying to, I guess, make up for taking a Super Regional away from Indiana State. It's a great story for them. I wish they got to host it. Uh, I can't remember a time when you just had to pick up and move a Super because the host wasn't prepared to host. I can't really think of the last time that happened, but I'm glad that the Special Olympics are getting some additional funding out of the whole thing, and we'll still get a great weekend of baseball with an Indiana State team that's really overachieved and really deserves to to get to enjoy the Super Regional because it's not a thing they do a ton. When you're looking at matchups, would you have thought that you would have compared two SEC teams against each other, South Carolina at Florida, and then flipping it over, you also have Kentucky at LSU. Not ideal if you're the Southeastern Conference because you want to play other conferences. That way you give yourself a better chance of winning it. But it is what it is in regards to how it falls. But that's just something that I think shows the strength of SEC baseball this season too. You know, Corey, I think there's a – conspiracy theory here about when you went to the college world series last year four of your teams were from the sec three of them were for the west i actually think and so because of that they kind of looked ahead a little bit maybe when they were making some of these matchups trying to make sure hey if our sec teams advance they're probably going to knock each other out versus actually like look at the tennessee southern mississippi matchup if auburn had won the regional that would be another sec matchup and so Part of me wonders, little tinfoil hat here, did the committee make sure that they could dilute the SEC before they got to Omaha? Because the last time a non-SEC team won the whole thing, it was Coastal Carolina. But for the most part, the SEC's dominated Omaha through and through, so they probably tried to do a little bit of work to make sure that they weren't stacking the deck before they got there. Is there a, is there a team you would consider the favorite right now heading into the Super Regionals before even before we get to Omaha? A lot of people are saying it's Wake Forest. I don't agree with that. Like we talked about, I think Alabama has a good, is a good matchup against them. I think right now your favorite has to be either LSU or Florida. And they are playing SEC squad. South Carolina didn't have the finish to the year that you wanted. Kentucky didn't have the overall record, but the RPI was really good. But both of those teams have plenty of star power. If you look at the the finalists for player of the year in college baseball. It's two guys from LSU and one guy from Florida. So them having the best players in the whole thing makes me think you've got to have either Florida or LSU as the favorite. If you're looking at it with the knowledge of college baseball versus just saying Wake Forest is number one, they're definitely the favorite. Because I do think if I'm Wake Forest, I would rather face Kentucky or South Carolina than face an Alabama right now. I agree with you there. And, and speaking Continuing the theme of, of great baseball in the major leagues, there's been a, a very special major leaguer who was the overall number one pick and now has an opportunity to be doing big things for the Cincinnati Reds. Ellie De La Cruz has had one of the best debuts that you have seen in all of baseball, like, like baseball history. If you go back and you look at, like, the first three games of a player's career, he is the second player in baseball history to have a single, a double, a triple, a home run, and a stolen base in his first three games. Uh, when Ellie De La Cruz collected his 
first two hits of the season, they were the two hardest hit balls this season by a Cincinnati player. When he ran to second on that first hit that was a double, it was the highest sprint speed any Cincinnati player had put up all year. His first infield assist, like making it out from third, was the hardest infield throw a Cincinnati player had done all year. This dude is a, a complete freak of nature in a good way. And it is very, very exciting that he is finally in the major leagues because this is, it's a great story. They found him for $60,000 down in Latin America and signed him at age 16. And he's now already one of the favorites for Rookie of the Year, and he's played three games. Without question, Lindsey Crosby joining us this afternoon on the final drive, host of Locked On Farm. Of course, the editor-in-chief of Braves today. And the Atlanta Braves have won four in a row. They're sitting on top of the National League East and six and four in their last 10 games. Not too shabby for the way that they were able to bounce back after losing that series to the Diamondbacks. Yeah, it's something where they lose the series opener to Arizona on Friday night. And Arizona's been a really good team. They're right there with the Dodgers for first place in the National League West. Atlanta comes back. Uh, key triple from Eddie Rosario on Saturday. They win game two. And then uh, a very dramatic two-out grand slam by Eddie Rosario on Sunday to win game three. And now you just won two against the Mets. So your lead in the division gets even bigger. And once you finish this Mets series, you have 16 games against teams with losing records. And so for as much as Atlanta struggled to barely be over 500 in May, they only lost one game in the standings. June is the month where Atlanta not can completely put away the division, but can definitely build a much bigger lead than the three or four games they had entering the month. Because after tonight's uh, final matchup of the Mets series, you've got the Nationals, the Tigers, the Rockies, the Phillies, the Reds, all teams with losing records, and you should be able to win all of those series and definitely had that lead as you head into the, the middle part of, of the summer and you start getting some of your pitchers back. It's a great job for being down two key starters like Atlanta is. The Tampa Bay Rays got off to that blazing start and that historic start, and they continue to sit on top of the American League East, and they're, they're – creating a lot of space for themselves. Also, the Texas Rangers and the West have done a tremendous job. Any surprises really so far as we're in that first week of June across either the American or National League? I think if you had told me this time a month ago that the Texas Rangers would get, like, what, two or three stars out of Jacob deGrom and still be in first place and their offense be as good as it is, I mean, that's the Texas Rangers are scoring the most runs, I think, of any team in baseball, or they're, like, second in that category. It's the, the offense is a juggernaut. The pitching staff has done really well. And so the Rangers are a great story. I do, like, I do think people need to not sleep on the Centrals because the AL Central and the NL Central, the records aren't that great. But what that does mean is anybody can come out of either the National League Central or the American League Central and – you look at the Pirates are one game back from leading the National League Central. The Reds are only five games back, and this is a Reds team that lost more than 100 games last year. I think the biggest surprise, though, is just how bad the Cardinals have been. 26-37, mm -hmm. and 37, they're eight games back. I can't remember a Cardinals team this bad. 
I mean, they would be the third worst team in the American League. The only teams worse than them are the Royals and the A's. And that's just not a place we've seen the St. Louis Cardinals in, what, 30 years? It's really, it's really odd that they just they have no pitching whatsoever, and the offense hasn't really carried its weight like usual, especially when they have the reigning MVP and Paul Goldschmidt at first, and what has been a pacing to be a Hall of Fame career from Nolan Arenado, and neither one of those guys is doing much of anything right now. Lindsey Crosby, can't thank you enough for your wealth of baseball knowledge that you bring here to the final drive and always enjoy talking with you. And how can everyone follow your tremendous coverage of not only collegiate baseball from the Auburn Tigers, Major League Baseball from the Atlanta Braves, but just get great insight in general? Absolutely. There's, there's a, I'm so glad you asked. Crosby Baseball on Twitter, that's where I keep everything but Starting at college baseball, AuburnDaily.com. The minor league baseball, Locked in MLB Prospects, the number one daily minor league baseball podcast. And uh, Major League Baseball, BravesToday.com. Lindsey, thank you so much. And as we start up these Super Regionals, look forward to talking to you again next week. Hey, good luck this weekend against Wake Forest. I, I'm not going to say I'm cheering for, for Alabama, but I really hope they do it. <laughs> well, we'll see if they're able to find a way and. Lindsay, thank you so much. And the final drive will be right back here on WNSP 105.5. Hi, this is Juan Sierra, former South Alabama Jaguar, former MLB player, and you're listening to WNSP. Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey Bounty, along with my producer, Michael Brauner, joining you this afternoon. Want to thank Lindsey Crosby for jumping on with us here on the final drive. And, of course, tonight you have game number two of the Women's College World Series. Oklahoma going for win number 53 in a row. They can go ahead and tuck in the Seminoles tonight with the win. And wouldn't it be something to have an opportunity to sit there and win your 53rd straight game and end that with a national championship coming back to Oklahoma for the third year in a row? And this will be win number 61 if they're able to pull it off the Sooners, 60-1 and one on the season. Just flat-out remarkable when you start talking about streaks. I know the Oklahoma football team holds the longest winning streak in college football. I know when you look back at women's basketball, UConn won over 111 consecutive games. So, you know, a streak of winning three national championships in a row that's that's in any sport in collegiate athletics nowadays. I, I just don't know if they're going to lose one. Yeah, they're going to win tonight. Uh, I'm just I'll just I'll say it. They're they're going to win tonight. Well, I, I tell you, it'll be one of those dynasties in any sport to where you win three in a row. I know that's something that Georgia is seeking to do in college football, but to put yourself on the top of the mountaintop this many years in a row and to be as consistent as they've been 
you, you would hate for them to go ahead and lose this game, stop the winning streak, and then go ahead and win the third game, <laughs> which would be deciding. It'll make for better drama. Yeah. But at the same time, go ahead and, and finish what has been a, a record-breaking season for the Lady Sooners. Ah, man, if they win tonight, who knows how long that winning streak is going to go. So, Yeah, I mean, it'll definitely you know, go in, go into next year for sure. And, and I, I think that when you look at what they've been able to accomplish, I, I'm just, I'm impressed with the fact that it will be their third consecutive title. They've only lost one game. It'll be their 53rd win in a row. And, and you're, you're witnessing what is definitely history in collegiate sports. And what's also history is the big 12, the big 12 in Mexico. If there was a place that you would love to see the Southeastern Conference expand to, of course, you look at the NFL taking its game overseas to England. Now the Big 12 is going to launch games in Mexico. They're going to play Kansas versus Houston in Mexico City in 2024. They're going to have soccer exhibitions and baseball exhibitions and looking to try to get a football game in Monterey in 2026. But if there was a footprint that you would love to see a conference expand to or a country you would love to see the SEC go to, where would you like to see the SEC expand to, Michael? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Uh, I, it's not even something I've ever remotely thought about. So, uh, you know, I'm... Uh, I'm cool with the SEC staying in the Southeast, but uh, it is a cool I it is a cool idea. I mean, I guess they're they're kind of taking that you know method that the NBA, the NFL, the MLB is taking. Yeah, you want to expand your brand, trying to expand your brand as it as it were. Uh, it's not like you're ever gonna open up an expansion school in in uh, you know Mexico or England or Germany or wherever. So I I, I don't know what the end goal is. I, odd. I I don't really know what to make of that. I know Kentucky. I guess it's played cool. basketball in Ireland. Sure, sure, yeah. So you you've seen the SEC expand its footprint a little bit, and that's I mean that's a great opportunity for the student athletes. The Big Twelve, Mexico geographically makes sense. You know, yeah, there Kentucky was the there was the Northwestern Nebraska opener game in uh, Ireland, I believe it was as well. And, and that's where that's where you just continue to, from a football standpoint. I know the basketball matchup. Kansas and Houston, of course, two great basketball programs playing in Mexico City. But you, you just never know when you're able to expand your brand what that can do for you. And and I just I like the fact that they're even thinking about it and it's an opportunity to become better. Sure. Yeah. It's uh I guess expanding your brand is always a is always a good thing there. Make uh make other nations aware of what we got going on in, in college athletics, you know, no need, no need to hog it to ourselves, I suppose. So, yeah, sure, that'd be cool. Well, it, again, we we've had an opportunity to look at at lists and rankings, and Bleacher Report had a ranking system here of what they considered the thirty greatest college football players of all time. And, Broner, I know I kind of share with you a little bit about who was on this list and what this list was 
all about. And some of it kind of took me back a little bit. And you have to go and say, according to, to Bleach Report, Herschel Walker is the greatest football player of all time. Okay. Archie Griffin is two. Okay. Tommy Frazier is three. Hugh Green is four. Barry Sanders, five. Dick Buck is six. And I I just, I struggle with the fact that Bo Jackson drops all the way down to 19. 19 for Bo. Where's OJ on that list? OJ Simpson is on the list at 16. Mm. So you have OJ Simpson ahead of Bo Jackson for the top 30 greatest college football players of all time. Ron Dane even makes the top 30 of greatest college football players of all time. Earl Campbell comes in at 13. Roger Staubach is at 14. And Peyton Manning at 15. Really? Deion Sanders is only at 12. Peyton Manning at 15? Yeah, Marcus Allen at 8. Now, I I just, again, I have all kind of problems. Is there an Alabama player on there? There is no Alabama player on this top 30 greatest college football players of all time per the Bleacher Report. Wow. So that that just kind of makes me say, all right, well, have you never, ever heard of, of one Derek Thomas? I mean, y- y- you're missing Joe Burrow. You're missing Adrian Peterson. Y- y- Reggie Bush? No Reggie Bush at all? I, I just – I'm not quite sure that this, that this list – really really has me saying okay whoever made this list i'm not quite sure what they were on when they made it yeah i was gonna ask you if if you were gonna throw an alabama player i I don't need you to rank where he'd be on the list but if there were a qualifying alabama player i mean derek thomas definitely. i I was also gonna say derek thomas yeah one, one of the one of the most dominant defensive players of all time doesn't even make the top 30 and again reggie bush one of the most electric and exciting football players to play nowhere on here. They they even have John Elway at 28, Colt McCoy at 29. That's Colt McCoy. Yes, Colt McCoy. And Dominica Sue is on the list. Now his his dominant performance at Nebraska was I can put him special. in the top 30 college football player Vince of all time. Vince McMahon, he was special. But mm-hmm. I, there's no way. Dave Remington, of course, the Remington Trophy, sure. named after him, comes in at 22. Randy Moss is oh. a quiet one at 23. He was so damn good. Orlando man. Pace handled his business as an offensive lineman. But no HBCU players, no Walter Payton, no sweetness, not a single HBCU player on this list to choose from. And that's why I start saying, okay, well, Steve McNair, you you don't consider him maybe one of the top 30 football players of all time in the numbers that he put up at Alcorn State? Come on. Michael Bronner, I'm just not too sold on this list at all. And Peyton Manning and Colt, Peyton Manning, whatever, but Colt McCoy on that list. Colt Colt McCoy on the list. And and the fact that he comes in at 29. Wow. That's kind of what. Really, Colt McCoy or Johnny Manziel? Which one do you think deserves to be on the list? Uh, 
like probably Johnny Manziel. Oh, probably Johnny Manziel. Hey, you're talking sure. about you're talking about a Heisman, so for sure. I mean, without question, Cam Newton. Cam Newton's not on the list. Tim Tebow's on there, coming in at number nine. Cam Newton's not so. on there. Cam Newton. Where wow. Cam Newton is not on this Bleacher Report. Worst. It, 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 it's just it's the worst list of all time. Not the best list of all time for sure. I just I'm trying to find out. How in the world they came up with the 30 greatest college football players of all time, and they're missing a whole lot. Yeah, well, uh, we got a caller who wants to give his thoughts. Go ahead, Jay. Fellas, I agree with you. There's a list that needs a lot of stuff done to it. But I want you all to remember, this is the college football list, not a pro football list. Now, I think that Jerry Rice certainly should have been on there. Sure. Um, he was a legend in college. And, I, you know, I don't know if he's on there or not. But I do agree with you. There's a lot of historical black colleges that have been, you know, not given the credit they deserve. Um, you know, one thing I want to share about that, at one time, Robert Brazil, um, Jackie Slater, and Walter Payton were all at Jackson State at the same time. Can you imagine playing them even <laughs> if you're in the pros? But please keep I mean, seriously, but keep, please keep in mind this is a college list. A lot of these players were better in the pros than they were in college. In my opinion, um, Cornelius Bennett was a better college player than Derek Thomas. Sure. But Derek Thomas was a better pro player than, than Cornelius Bennett. But uh, I do appreciate y'all bringing it up because I find it very interesting. And one other thing I want to say, keep in mind this. Um, Peyton Manning was generally controlled by Florida. Tennessee didn't win a national championship until they had that fellow from Mobile, uh, T. Martin. Martin, come up there. Yes. So, yes. you know, you know, a lot of these, and Cam Newton really only played one year of college football. And, so, and you know, there's a lot that we – go ahead. You no, know, no, you're exactly right. There's there, there's some on this list that, that have been omitted. And thank you for, for bringing that fact up about what Jackson State had from an HBCU standpoint. And you're right about Jerry Rice as well. His numbers collegiately – you know, I, I really do have a problem with with this list, according to Bleacher Report. And there's, you can come up not a single Alabama player on the list. That that really, really is amazing. Now, there's one more thing I want to share with you. T. Martin's dad actually played with Jerry Rice at Mississippi Valley State. I know that from T. Martin and his dad. His dad was out at the YMCA one time here in Mobile, and T. Martin was throwing passes at him. The guy's in his 40s and looked like he could suit up that day. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and I'm not, I'm, and let me say this. You know, he's, he's running his pass routes for T. Martin, and uh, it was impressive. That guy was probably 45, and he was, like I said, I, I, I'd probably consider that putting him on, I'd give him a uniform. Without question, without <laughs> question. Appreciate the call, Jay. Bleacher Report's Thank list, you. the top 30 college football players of all time. We'll definitely revisit this and love to get your thoughts on it as well. We'll have Trent Massey from Future Ones joining us next here on The Final Drive. This is George Pada, bench coach of the Houston Astros, and you're listening to WNFT. Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. And, of course, that music means only one thing. We have future ones on the line with us. 
Trent Massey joins us this afternoon. And Trent, hope all is well, my friend. Man, it's a great day in Mobile, Alabama. How are you doing? Man, I'm absolutely too blessed to be stressed. Thank you for asking. And I tell you, it is a beautiful day in Mobile, Alabama, but it's a beautiful day across the state of Alabama because it's that time of year where you start to see seven-on-seven seven clinics and events take place. And there's nothing like seeing that Future One's brand on this seven-on-seven seven gear that these guys are wearing and girls are wearing throughout their cheerleading and dance competitions throughout the state of Alabama. Yeah, man, you know, it's, it's definitely that time of year. A lot of coaches, a lot of calls. Uh, it's our, our busiest time. And, um, you know, I had a business reach out to me the other day wanting to order some full-button baseball jerseys because they made a big sale for their business. And so we're going to do this big jersey for them. So there's all different ways we can help, man. It's a lot of, a lot of different things we do. Of course, you mentioned cheerleading. Um, we just came out with some cheerleading stuff as well for sideline apparel. And uh, so we're kind of branching into that, that uh, area of the sports world. And so we're excited about that as well. Well, it's it, that time of year, too, not only football, but you see these basketball play dates that are going on across the state of Alabama. I know next week they're going to have their huge AHSAA refereeing clinic in Hoover in Birmingham, Alabama. And, of course, you know, those jerseys, those practice jerseys that the national champion LSU Lady Tigers War can get you ready for practice and opponents and also just the gear that teams love to wear for practice. You guys have plenty of that as well. Yes, yeah, speaking of that, Corey, uh, Troy University reached out to us today. They're about to purchase our scout team jerseys for football. So, uh, you know, don't forget about that. That's kind of what brought us to the dance, uh, our original scout team football jersey. So, um, yeah, definitely. It's, uh, it's that time of year for all of I have basketball coaches calling me, volleyball coaches. Um, and it's uh, just a great, a great time for future ones. It, it, it really is. And, you know, what, what I love, too, is the fact that with football coming up, of course, every week we can't go without talking about the customized cleats as well as the customized shoes because, of course, you're not wearing cleats on a basketball floor, but you can surely wear your team's shoes as far as from a basketball or a volleyball standpoint with your school's logo all over it so you can be head-to-toe future ones. Yeah, man. Corey, in about two weeks, uh, hopefully I'll have some news for you potentially next week. But we are bringing our first online uh, configurator to the website where you can actually get on there and design your own shoes for your teams or businesses or whatever and uh, be able to purchase them right there on, on the Internet. So you'll be able to design your own shoes, put your logos on there. And uh, so I, I will let you know. I'll keep you updated on that as well for, for that. So Looking forward to that. And we can't forget about those bands because those bands are out practicing as we start here in the month of June. It's starting to heat up on the outside. So you guys have summer band spirit packs that you guys offer as well. Absolutely, man. It, whatever it has to do with sports, we can handle it. And, uh you know, we, we work really well with these coaches and directors and 
it's just um you know it's it's been it's been a blessing to future ones just to be able to get into this market be able to communicate with these coaches in such a way and, and provide the service that they've really wanted for a long time and now we're we're here to be able to do that for them and great product great prices and uh, we're 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 definitely here to stay i mean it's a, a great brand and we're looking forward to continuing to serve the schools and uh, of alabama and beyond future one's official sponsor provider of WNSP 105.5. I know we got our new t-shirts in. We got our pullover, our, our quarter zip jackets in and just love the swag that you're providing us right here at WNSP. And if people want to reach out to you, see that catalog. You're also the official sponsor of the AHSAA. How can people reach out and get in touch with you? The best way is just go on the internet that's futureones.com, check out some of our gear, uh, equipment, different things, and then you can always email us, sales at futureones.com. You'll find the phone number on there as well, 877-583-0747. So reach out to us. We'd love to help you out. Not only athletics, but can handle your team and corporate functions from an apparel standpoint as well, 877-583-0747, or reach out sales at future, that's the number one S, dot com. Trent Massey, thank you so much. Corey, thank you guys. Have a great week. Trent Massey joining us here on the final drive. And again, we're getting ready for our Tide and Tiger segment here at 5 o'clock. We'll put the finishing touches on the final drive. Second hour coming up next. My name is Robert Brazil. I'm from the class of 2018 Pro Football Hall of Fame. You're listening to WNSP. Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. And, of course, over the next couple of days in Washington, D.C., there's a lot of talk going on about NIL from a political standpoint. And the question is, should politics or politicians really be involved in what's going on with the NCAA and NIL? I know Tommy Tuberville. The senator from Alabama, former Auburn head coach, chimed in and says the NIL is a disaster. And I think it is a disaster. I'm glad that players are getting paid. I think it's a disaster from a standpoint of there were what Nick Saban called no guardrails going in. And because you didn't have any guardrails going in, that's why you're looking for help for certain coaches. Now, a lot of people say that it's it's Nick Saban wanting the competitive edge to be even with everybody. Because I, I will say this, Alabama can, can donate or give as much money to the collective as any other institution. Texas A&M, Texas, whomever you want to say. But a lot of people are saying that Nick Saban doesn't like it when other schools have a competitive edge. He likes for that playing field to be even. Do you agree with that assessment, Bronner? 
Well, you citing that uh, that Mike Florio hit piece from from uh, Pro Football Talk. It's just what it is. It's what Saban said. Yeah. Well, um, I think that's kind of the crux of the issue was the lack of guardrails on the whole thing, and then then Florio came out with that that piece last week's like Nick Saban doesn't like NIL because it doesn't make it easier for him to recruit if it did he would well at the same time in the first true NIL recruiting period Nick Saban came away with arguably the best class he's ever had on paper uh you know every everyone uh and every every college football analyst kind of came out and, and called that piece junk but uh yeah I don't know uh obviously you don't want politicians involved in in making major legislation for for college football but you know what have we said all week we don't know what the solution is so uh maybe maybe that's what it takes well i mean my, my question is by going before congress and by sitting there what what do you think they're really going to be able to to accomplish is it just a photo op for a lot of the politicians who probably could care less hmm. about college football? Is it an opportunity to get your, your picture taken with some of the, the greatest of all time? Well, or it's always a photo op, man. Everything they do is a photo op. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's a good question. Like, do they actually care? What, what incentive do they really have to care? Because I, I love for athletes to be compensated. I want athletes to be compensated without question. And I think that they deserve to be compensated. And I know we have a caller who wants to chime in, Michael. Yeah, go ahead, Chuck. Hey, Corey, I, I, I wanted to get in yesterday and, and expound on this, but I don't think the whole issue is the NIL money. I think it is the transfer portal, though. And here, here's why. Now, hear this out. All right. Last weekend, we saw um, – in the regionals and college baseball playoffs, Nichols State uh, out of Kibito playing Alabama. They've got a major league ready pitcher right now on their staff, Jacob Myers. Freshman, he's a freshman of the year in the Southland Conference. Nine uh, one going into that game, ERA just a little bit over one. I, I, I'll bet you money next year he's pitching for LSU. Or he's pitching for a D1 school. He's not pitching for Nickel State. So the issue isn't necessarily all about money, and you can't blame the young man, but these kids that go to these smaller schools and they have an outstanding season, they're going to be jumping in the portal immediately if they think there's any opportunity for NIL money for them. Who, who do you think could pay more, an SEC school or Nickel State? SEC school, without question. Without yeah, so that I think that's I think that's where part of the rub is. And now let me let me throw one other thing at you there uh, on your Bleacher Report top thirty list. Uh, basically, no love at all in there for offensive linemen, right? No, Orlando pays pretty much. Reddington as well. Yeah, yeah. So it's just you know, I mean, uh, I think Anthony Munoz and John Hanna could have played in any era. Sure. Not just the era they played in, and they could have dominated. So, uh, yeah, I, you know, that's so so objective. Uh, 
but yeah, it, it's you know, doesn't Bleacher Report operate on the principle of hey, how many clicks can we get? Yes, they do. I, I would I would think so. Coming out with this list, Chuck, absolutely yeah. they do. I, I don't okay. have a problem with Herschel Walker being one, Chuck. I don't. Right. But but right. I do have a problem with the fact that. You, you didn't have a single Alabama player on there, and you have Colt McCoy in your top 30 college football players of all time. That, I have a problem with well, that. Well, out of curiosity, Corey, where did they have Jim Brown ranked? Jim Brown, not on the list, Chuck. So, okay, okay. Okay, and, and not, now, you know, I, I know this doesn't matter, but not only was he an All-American in football, he was an All-American in lacrosse. Yeah, I, I, that's, that's why I say, you know, I understand lists are subjective to, to how you feel. But come on, man, Bleacher Report, you got to do a little bit better than that, Chuck, for sure. Okay, well, well last question. Uh, all right, did they have Ernie Davis on there who came after uh, Jim Brown? Ernie Davis looking at the top 16, not on there. He is at number 27. Okay, okay. And, and there's a guy. I mean, so so obviously the pro career didn't factor into there at all because he never played it down in the in the pros. I mean, he was drafted by Cleveland and went, but then was diagnosed, of course, with leukemia, didn't play. So, so yeah. And and for my money, I'm gonna say this and I'll be done. Uh, I watched the 19. Uh, what is that? 82 Sugar Bowl after the 81 season. Pittsburgh played Georgia. And Pittsburgh's athletic director at the time, Ricky Jackson, dominated in that game defensively. Would go on the all pro for the Saints. He even said, after watching the game, he said, "I wonder if we didn't promote the wrong guy for Heisman." See, that, that's what because you're seeing. I'm sorry to cut you off, they Chuck. Had, we got to go. Okay. Thanks, Chuck. Bye. The final drive. We'll be right back with the Tide and Tiger. This is the Tide and Tiger Report on 105.5 FM WNSP. An hour of the latest news and reports from the Plains and the Capstone with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Brought to you by State Farm Agent Heath Parker and Dr. Chris Walton of Premier Medical Eye Group. Streaming live on the Sound of Mobile app, here are Corey and Michael. Welcome to the Tide and Tiger Report on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty, along with my producer, Michael Bronner, joining you this Thursday afternoon. And, of course, it's always a pleasure to be joined by the one and only Stephen M. Smith, senior reporter for Alabama football and TD Alabama Mag. Stephen, good afternoon, and thanks for joining us here on the Tide and Tiger Report. Always a joy to be with you guys. How are you guys feeling on this uh, fine Thursday here? Man, absolutely blessed by the best, my friend. Blessed by the best and just always excited because, you know, we're getting closer to the SEC media days as we flip the calendar over here to June. And that means that we're getting closer to Alabama kicking off against Middle Tennessee and the, the great debate will continue to go on the entire offseason here about Alabama, who the starting quarterback may be for the Crimson Tide against Middle Tennessee. But Nick Saban's handling business. He's not really worried about the starting quarterbacks right now. He's worried about the NIL, and he's visiting Washington, D.C. with a lot of other athletic directors and coaches. And 
you know, Nick Saban made the statement about NIL, Stephen, that he just wants to see competitive balance. And I think that that would be great for college football. But do you think we'll have that? That's going to be the biggest question, Corey, because when we look at NIL, there are so many things that some states can do and some teams can do that others can't. You look at Texas, for example. Texas, everything bigger in Texas, all money, business tycoons. So there are so many things that teams like Texas A&M and that Texas can do. Other programs, other programs may not necessarily be able to can do in terms of compensating these athletes, you know, paying these athletes for their name, image, and likeness, things of that nature. So as much as we want to try to get competitive balance as much as we can or get close to that perfection as we can, we cannot deny the fact that there are other areas where money is abundant, funds are abundant, financial means are, are abundant, and people that are bent on seeing their respective program or their respective team or their respective school be at the top of the top, there are some areas that are going to dig a little bit more to find those resources. Stephen, if I'm not mistaken, the last time we spoke to you, I believe it was still before Alabama had brought in Tyler Buckner from the transfer portal. So obviously it's going to be the story of the summer, and rightfully so. It's the quarterback position. Now a three-man race in the battle to be the starting quarterback for the Alabama Crimson Tide in 2023. How do you see it? I'm not going to ask you necessarily to predict it yet, at least, uh, but how do you see as it stands right now? And you know what? I will ask you to predict it. Ultimately, how do you think it is going to play out? I mean, this this one's hard right here because all, all three, the three main guys in this battle right here, I mean, I know you got two freshmen and Egon Holton and Dylan Larnigan, but let's put those to the side for right now. And if we're focusing squarely on Jalen Milrow, Ty Simpson, Tyler Buckner, if I had to predict it right now, just predicting it right now, I would go Simpson, Mil- I would go Simpson, Milrow, Buckner. In a sense of, uh, I look at, I look at Simpson is a guy that can give you a bit more balance in terms of not just the run, is that just the run? but also just a pure passing ability. Now, Milrow's put in a ton of work this offseason, and I'm very proud of that young man. He's been down there, South Florida, Tampa, Florida, working with Joe Murphy, one of the biggest trainers in terms of getting guys prepared to make that college to NFL jump. Milrow has taken quite a few Alabama wide receivers down with him to Tampa, Florida, to work on his passing, to fine-tune that, to get that right where he wants that to be at. Uh, Ty Simpson's been at QB country over there in Nashville, Tennessee, as well as working with his dad, Jason, the head coach at Tennessee Martin. But I feel like just right now, just off the pure balance of what you want, not just in the run game, but still giving the receivers the aerial attack passing game that they love also, having the best of both worlds. If I had to predict it now, I would go Simpson, Milrow, Buckner. Well, I, I tell you, it's going to be a great battle no matter how you look at it. When you start looking at Alabama's depth at any position, whether it's offensively or defensively, where do you see the Crimson Tide's greatest strength or depth being? I know from a defensive back standpoint, Tony Mitchell coming back to the Crimson Tide, even as a true freshman and not having an opportunity to participate in the spring, 
I think that that adds a little depth, and it's a redemption story also. It's a, it's a huge redemption story for Tony. Uh, Tony Mitchell, former five-star from Thompson High School here in the state of Alabama, and it's tremendous depth for the Alabama secondary. Like you mentioned, Corey, you, you got guys like Tony Mitchell. You got Antonio Kai. You got Jake Pope. You got Dez Ricks, Jamil Horley. A lot of guys that can play in that secondary. But also to me, I kind of want to flip it off to the offensive line. There's a lot of depth in the offensive line. I mean, I know you got Seth McLaughlin back. You've got Tyler Bucker back. J.C. Latham back. Darian Dalcourt back. But you also look at guys like Jaden Roberts. You look at Terrence Ferguson, who's back. You've signed a host of guys in this recent offensive line class with Wilkin Formby, Rock Montgomery, Omar Miles McVay, Caden Proctor. So there's depth in the defense, the secondary. There's depth in the offensive line and even the defensive line. Yes, you got Justin Boyd uh, Jaheem Otis, Jamarian Latham, uh, Jay, uh, Jamil Burroughs, Tim Smith. But you got several other guys, Damon Payne, Montel Goodwine, and on down. So you got the defensive line, you got the offensive line, and the secondary. Those three levels, tremendous depth. And the depth is big when it's in those trenches. Stephen M. Smith, touchdown Alabama Mag, our guest on the final drive in the Tide and Tiger Report this afternoon. Stephen, it feels like a common narrative that's been thrown around when trying to predict uh, the ceiling, I guess, of this Alabama team is that, oh, they weren't all that great, at least by Alabama standards. Last season, lost two games, could have lost a couple more than that, and now they lose the two best players in college football, Bryce Young and Will Anderson. How could they be possibly? Be how could they possibly be better this year when? I mean, tell me if I'm wrong on this, but obviously the quarterback situation now is what the quarterback situation is, but I'd argue they improve pretty much in, on every other position on the roster. I think they have. I mean, you look at this, they've improved in the offensive line. Keep in mind, this is Eric Wolford finally bringing in really his guys to have the toughness, the grit, the move you off the football, be outright nasty out there. So you improved there on the offensive line. Defensive line, you've improved getting Justin Aboigby back for a fifth year along with other guys that you've brought in. And I think Freddie Roach has the understanding of, look, i got to play everybody. i got to have this rotation eight, nine deep. i got to get everybody on the field. So you've improved there. I think in the secondary, you're greatly improved. You look at just so much depth back there. You're going to have Kool-Aid McKinstry as one of your corners. Your other corner, you're looking at Terry on Arnold or Trey Amos, the transfer from Louisiana Lafayette. I think it'll be more so Terry on Arnold. You got Earl Little, who, in my opinion, will start at that nickel position at star. And then your two safeties, I mean, my God, you got Caleb Downs back there, Malachi Moore back there, uh, Christian Story back there. You got so many guys that can play at safety. So I feel like all across the board, wide receiver, you've got talent at that position. Can these guys catch the football consistently as you're breaking in a new quarterback? That's the question there. But you've got talent all around there. Even at tight end, keep your eyes on guys like Amari Nyblack and Danny Lewis Jr. at tight end. They greatly improved in the spring. And then you got C.J. Dupree, the transfer from Maryland, is all that's advertised. I think you improved and got better at just about every spot. Well, I know we had Sterling Dixon Jr., the verbal commit to 
Alabama from a defensive standpoint right here at Mobile, Alabama, in our studio yesterday for our Mobile's Finest segment. And, you know, Perry Uno is another one of those recruits coming from Foley High School. But Alabama last week continues over the weekend to, to pick up another offensive lineman commitment and his you know, the, the player who committed, his father was a Florida State guy. So you're starting to see a lot of these traditional powerhouses, whether it's Florida State or Georgia, for family members to break away and kind of go their own route and make their own road. And it's very interesting you bring that up, Corey, because in years past, we've known to see a lot of these guys. If dad went to Miami, granddad went to Miami, uncle went to Miami, I'm going to Miami. If brother went to this school, if mom and, and auntie went to this school, I'm going to go to that school. But you're starting to see a lot of these guys, like you mentioned, they want to create their own name, their own niche, their own narrative. And, and kudos to those guys. And not just the class of 2024, but the class of 2025 where – that talent is going to be smack dab in the state of Alabama. It's just scary, insanely crazy how the talent pool for the, for the next two classes to come within this state. It's, it's incredible. I agree with you 100% there the next two years in this state. But that's one of the things that Nick Saban has done a tremendous job with within his 17 years at Alabama is, is building that wall around the state of Alabama. And I know it took him until his second year to really get things started up from a recruiting standpoint. But Auburn with Tommy Tumberville for six consecutive Iron Bowls and really from a recruiting standpoint, early 2000s really dominated this state of Alabama and dominated the rivalry. He did. And, and, and like you mentioned, being able for Nick Saban to be able to set that wall up 2008, 2009, and getting a lot of the big, talented names like the Julio Joneses, like, uh, I mean, the Julio Joneses to stay in Tuscaloosa, to stay in Alabama, the Mark Barons to stay in Alabama, those big names to remain right here, right home here uh, with the Crimson Tide, and just these next two classes trying to continue to do that because you, you got to keep your eyes on. Texas A&M is going to try to flip a lot of these guys. Georgia Kirby Smart is going to try to flip a lot of these guys. Hugh Freeze, who's now in Auburn and a solid recruiter in his own life, going to, going to try to flip a lot you know, of these guys. So these next two classes, David's going to continue to maintain that secure wall of, hey, you want to come play with the best? Savages trying to play with savages. Here you are right here at the University of Alabama and keeping that wall contained because the competition is only going to get stiffer from here. Well, Stephen, one of the things also that I think that from a historical standpoint, Alabama really struggling to get guys in the College Football Hall of Fame. And Chris Samuels, an All-American offensive lineman from right here in Mobile as well, Shaw High School, and, of course, we know what he did at Alabama and with the Washington Redskins. You look at Antonio Langham being that guy that gets on the ballot, at least gets on the ballot for the College Football Hall of Fame. Why do you think it is that people like Chris Samuels is just being overlooked for the College Football Hall of Fame. And there's so many former Alabama greats that cannot get on that ballot as well. 
it's so tough, Corey, because there's been so many great players that come to the program. It's been so many great players that did different things and became All-Americans that I mean, I, I'm, not, I'm not in the room where the boulders are. I would love to be a boulder when you talk about the, the Alabama football, the Alabama Sports Hall of Fame, and, and to cast my vote and to give my opinion on it. Unfortunately, I'm not in those rooms. I'm not on that type of staff right there. But when you have so many great players that have come through one particular program and so many guys that the fans fell in love with, it's hard because you're kind of nitpicking, you know, what did this guy do better than that guy? What did that guy bring that this guy didn't bring? Or, you know, how many championships this guy won? Or how many big plays that guy won? And when you are having those sets of criteria, it's hard. And especially for a guy like Chris Sandler, an offensive lineman that was an All-American, that was a, a first-team All-SEC, that was a SEC Jacobs blocking trophy winner, that did set the way for one of the greatest running backs ever played in the program, that being Sean Alexander, I don't get why he is an offensive lineman does not get more love. Steven, I want to ask you about the running back group. Obviously, you lose Jameer Gibbs, so that could be one position you could say you downgraded at, although I, I think the talent coming in combined with the talent already on the roster makes it almost impossible to say that. Do you see this kind of as a it's Jace McClellan show? I, I, I don't, you know, I love Jace McClellan. I don't see him as that, that Najee Harris type, though. I mean, I, I think Jamarian Miller is going to get on the field a good bit. And then where do Justice Haynes and Richard Young factor into that equation as well? I look at this as you, you can see it, and, and Saban likes to go with if the Saban likes to go with the hot hand. Whoever comes out there with the hot hand, getting the job done early, he, he kind of likes to roll with that. But at the same time, as talented as Jace McClellan is, and he is, I look at it's going to be difficult keeping uh, Jam Miller off the field because of what he brings. He kind of has that pinball Josh Jacobs type of effect, and then the spring that Justice Haynes had five-star from Buford High School in Georgia, and how much Coach Saban talked about him. He is going to play quite a bit. And then you look at Richard Young coming out of Florida. If he lights the field on fire in fall camp, now you're really going, holy smoke, we got, we got a dude right here also. And then not to mention Rodell Williams, who flourished last season kind of in a short yardage type of role, had four rushing touchdowns just a season ago. He wants to see his role expands, so I don't think it's going to be just a Jace McClellan show. He'll get the first crack at some things, but I think there are other running backs that will not be denied. They'll have their, uh, their say in there also. Speaking with Stephen M. Smith, host of In My Own Words, and also senior reporter for Alabama football and touchdown Alabama Magazine, which is a tremendous read to where you can catch up on all your Crimson Tide information. Bryce Young officially named QB1 in Carolina, of course. QB1, draft pick number one. Is he the greatest Alabama quarterback that you've seen come through the university? He is in terms of just everything when you look at Not even just the arm talent. The, the IQ, the cerebralness that he plays with, the escapability, the, the ability to create, the magicianship that he has with the football in his hands, and then just this quality of, of, of leadership that just exudes 
quiet, calm, confident swagger. Corey, I go back to, I was at the Iron Bowl in 2021. I was right there, Jordan-Hare Stadium, when everything was hitting the fan. You're down, you're down seven, you're down ten three. Fourth quarter was like a minute and change to go. You got the ball on your own three-yard line. The Auburn fan base is lusting going, we got them, we got them, we freaking got them. There is no way they're leaving Jordan here with the win. There's no way they're leaving out here with the win. And I look at number nine with a smile on his face. I'm in the press box panicking about to pull every inch of hair out of my scalp. There's not much hair there. <laughs> and number nine is literally on the field smiling like everything is cool. Everything is great. I can sip some tea. I can read a book. I can watch some Oprah. I can hit a two-step. Like, I, we, we good. <laughs> and I'm watching number nine take this team, 12 plays, 97 yards, Cooling on the other side of the pillar, you hit Ja'Cory Brooks for a touchdown. The place goes absolutely dead silent. I'm drinking a Sprite going, God, what the world just happened? Like, incredible. Just incredible confidence, leadership, swagger, on field. You know what he can do. But just off the field, and just how he is commanding a huddle, when nine is in your camp, you just know, bro, we're we going to win a football game. It doesn't matter what the football game is. We're going to win a football game with this cat right here. To me, that, that, that's what makes him the most special quarterback that's ever played here. I just always went to that Iron Bowl, and I'm like, if I could make it out of jerk and hair alive, and that day, Bryce Young allowed me to get home alive. Well, I, I tell you, it's going to be truly missed, but all the special memories that he provided, really the Iron Bowl being that epic game that if you want to make your mark known, it is definitely to be done in the Iron Bowl, and he was able to do that. want to get your, your quick thoughts about EA Sports bringing back college football, and as of yesterday, I had no clue that college football had a players association no clue i don't know if you knew that Stephen m or not but are you excited that this game is supposedly coming back and hope the players don't boycott it for the money uh, it's about time to this game come back it's about time and I, I hope i really hope the players do not boycott it in terms of the money i know malachi more has recently come out on social media saying he's not boycotting it. But it's about time we bring this game back. Absolutely. Stephen M. Smith joining us here for the Tide and Tiger Report. And always appreciate your great insight and your wisdom that you bring. And, and my last question for you. Out of Destin last week, we had divisionless football. Are you in favor of divisionless football and the eight or nine game schedule? You know what? It, 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 at first, I was kind of, I was slightly concerned, but now as I think about it more, I'm cool with it. I mean, this is what we see in the Big Twelve. Everybody plays everybody. Your top two teams go play for a conference championship. I'm cool with it now. 
I'm all right with that as well. Stephen M. Smith, how can people follow all your outstanding coverage that you bring of the Crimson Tide? They can do that by going to touchdownalabama.com. That's touchdownalabama.com. They're the website. We're breaking down all things Crimson Tide football. As far as on YouTube, you check us out, Touchdown Alabama Magazine on YouTube, where you can check out all the shows, including mine, which is in my own words, every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 6.30 p.m. Central Time, where we talk nothing but your Crimson Tide uh, from all facets. Appreciate you, Stephen M. Hope to catch up with you at SEC Media Days next month for sure. Appreciate you guys. Y'all take care. All right. Stephen M. Smith joining us on the Tide and Tiger Report this Thursday afternoon. Hey, this is Jimmy Riffle from Gator Boys, and you're listening to WNSP on 105.5. All right, 824, you guys can jump in at 694-1055. Segment brought to you by South Alabama Athletics, reminding you they're back in Hancock-Whitney September 9th, and uh, tickets are on sale. And since we're on the Jags, congratulations to Kyle Rademeyer, claim the 2023 NCAA Outdoor Track and Field Championship on the first night of competition there in Austin, Texas, as he cleared his only attempt at 5.70 meters to win the event what you got for us can you do that can you reach heights better than that uh no how about that brutal honesty for you hey orlando alzagari is going to join us we'll talk some miami sports there's a lot to get to coming up here at 8 30 but we'll talk to you if you want to jump in uh give us a call uh, all right so for those of you that are just joining us zion's had uh williamson has had a um an interesting 24 hours here um so he, first of all, maybe a, a, an interesting week. He's had, uh, he's going to be a father. There was a whole gender reveal done on, um, on social media that has gone awry. And we'll get to it here in a second, but I said you guys need to give us a call, and you guys have answered that call. So here you go, 694-1055. Welcome to the show. It's the opening kickoff. Hey, fellas, I, I'm going to give a vote old school here. Uh, Andy Griffith, uh, he actually did some very good dramatic roles. And uh, first guy that I ever got to see in person, I saw him in summer stock, Charlotte, North Carolina, back in 64. And, uh, of course, you know, you can still catch him on Andy Griffith's show. And uh, I, I've been thinking, Mark, you ever watch that? Nah, I mean, when it's on, I usually flip. I ain't going to lie. Yeah, it's got a moral in there every week, but it finally hit me uh, a couple of years ago. You know what, why the show's so good? And think about it. The entire cast, nobody's married. Aunt B single, Andy single, Barney single, Goober single. Opie single. Floyd the Barber, Howard Sprague. The only person, Lee, the only person you relate to this, the only person who's married in the show is Otis, and he's drunk all the time. So, what are you, what are you mean, trying to what, what, Is there a message there? Drunk with love, Chuck. <laughs> hey, hey, so what are you, you know, trying to say? I mean, are you coming down on marriages today? 
No, 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 no. Hey, marriage is the only war where you go to bed with the enemy, right? So anyway, uh, y'all have a great day, fellas. Huh. Never really thought of it that way. That on the T-shirt. Yeah. Let's get some bumper stickers made up. Well, there was a movie called Sleeping with the Enemy, but I don't think they had that in mind. No, that's pretty much what it was. I mean, like, wasn't that the Julia Roberts one where... It was either her or I thought there was one with Jennifer Lopez, too. That was enough where uh, she was being battered and bruised right. and she just beats the hell out of him at the end. It was pretty good, actually. Not to be confused with Mother, where she just goes out and defends her kid and beats the hell out of everybody in that one. You see that one? I did. I did, too. <laughs> she, did you see uh, my new lunchbox? Yeah, I got one, too. I saw it. <laughs> You didn't want, want to tangle with her in that one. Uh, Sleeping with the Enemy, 1991, Julia Roberts. Lee, are, were you an Andy Griffith fan back in the day when they were coming I enjoyed online? the show. I'm, I'm with Mark now. If it came on, I probably wouldn't watch it. I, I'd actually enjoyed Matlock a little bit more because I like uh, lawyer-type uh, movies. But I, I, used to, uh, I used to watch it. It was okay. Out of the pairing, I, I lean more Don Knotts, I think. Me too. Oh, absolutely, yeah. That's one of the reasons I watched it. When he left or it got – it, I, I didn't care for it after some of the uh, key actor actors left the show. You guys are so much so alike. And then when I hear Chuck <laughs> Oliver's show where they always play the uh, whistling theme, it, kind of, it brings back memories. But to be honest with you, I'll say this. That Opie went on to some career in Hollywood, didn't he? So yeah. When I hear that song, all I think of is Chuck Oliver. So do I. Well, and me too. Oh, <laughs> uh, stop being a follower. <laughs> all right. We'll see if we can catch up with the Big O next, right here on the Sports Station WNSP. Welcome back to the Tide and Tiger Report. Call now at 694-1055 or take part on the WNSP app. Once again, Corey and Michael. Wrapping up the Tide and Tiger Report on this Thursday evening. Want to thank everyone for tuning in, not only to the final drive, but of course, the Tide and Tiger Report. And, you know, the College Football Hall of Fame, we talked to, about it with Stephen M. Smith earlier. And the fact that Tommy Tuberville is being nominated for the College Football Hall of Fame. Of course, Tuberville was at Ole Miss, came up to, over to Auburn in a pine box, and had success at Auburn. But Greg Carr, Ed King, and Takeo Spikes – from Auburn all on the ballot. Now, just to get on the ballot, I think, in and of itself is, is impressive because only Alabama had one Antonio Langham on its ballot. But Takeo Spikes was that linebacker, not only had a terrific and outstanding collegiate career at Auburn, but went on to have a very successful career in the NFL as well, Michael, and, and it's again, it's so hard to get on this list, but from an Alabama-Auburn standpoint for 2024 nominations, Tommy Tuberville being one of the coaches along with Greg Carr 
Ed King and Takeo Spikes and Antonio Langham from Alabama. Yeah, some big names there. Love to see Langham on there. And, uh, you know, probably no surprise on Tuberville, no matter how you feel about him. But, uh, yeah, no, that's uh, some big names there for sure. And, of course, Langham being one of the most electric plays that in the history of Alabama Crimson Tide football, of course, in the Sugar Bowl National Championship versus Miami. That's what gives him a lot of recognition. And I, I, I'm, I just want to see Takeo Spikes and get, get in 95 to 97, a two-time member of the Associated Press All-American second team and was a first-team All-American for the Sporting News in 97. Just an impressive linebacker, like I said, not only at Auburn, but in college as well. Now, tomorrow on the final drive, of course, we'll have Hank South, Roger Hoover, giving us some info on the Alabama Crimson Tide baseball team as they prepare to take on Wake Forest this weekend and scheduled also not today because he had a situation to come up, but Jake Crane joining us tomorrow on the final drive and it's a a Friday edition and of course we want to know what day it is and we'll be able to find out that in our segment to end our Friday show tomorrow on the final drive want to thank everyone for tuning in to WNSP 105.5 the final drive and the Tide and Tiger report Michael Brauner doing a fabulous job producing the show And we look forward to checking in with you again on a Friday edition of The Final Drive. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.